So you know I've been playing that Journey of Wrestling game. Yeah, how's that been? Pretty good. I decided to rebook. It starts at uh, the pay-per-view like right before Starcade or maybe at Starcade 97. So I get to build basically to where we started and then try to make that work. Didn't you tell me last night that the way that you're booking it, WWE has gone out of business? <laughs> Not quite gone out of business, but they are plummeting and WWE is thriving. Thriving. Who knew the trick was to have Jericho and Bret Hart main event Starcade and then Heel Sting and Goldberg Streak? Damn. Do you know what Kevin Nash is doing? Finger poke doom? Nothing. Good. What's the NWO doing? I played that one in the like free version, so you can't do factions in that version, so the oh. NWO doesn't exist. Good. Kinda. Good. Which makes a lot of that complicated, because then I'm trying to like loosely figure out, like, alright, who's affiliated? And I'm like, I need the listings. Yeah. So, now I'm doing 1994 ECW, and... ECW. I am struggling. <laughs> I mean, what you were doing all day, wasn't it? A little bit. <laughs> the issue is you literally start and there's no main eventers, just upper carters. And like, what's what... the difference between a main eventer and an upper carter? Basically, the last match versus the second last match. But or, if they're all upper card and there's no uh, main eventers, somebody has was, to be the last. I match. guess it was upper mid card, and it's just talking about like overall Skill popularity okay, for okay. each thing. But uh, yeah, you have like no main event level talent and then two of your guys who are upper mid card are like 51 year old Jimmy Snuka and like 53 year old Dory Funk Jr. I mean that sounds about right. And I'm like oh shit. But it's been fun trying to basically trading for guys and then giving them their later gimmicks like trading for Johnny Polo and giving him his Raven gimmick. Wait his name was Johnny Polo before he was Raven? Yes. Can we put that on the dog name list? <laughs> and then uh, going from the Tasmanian to Taz. Okay, see, I kind of like the Tasmanian better. I mean, it was like a... Not quite like a Tasmanian. Tasmanian devil. Yeah, it was kind of like that. It was a shit gimmick. Yeah. And then he was the human suplex machine. Yeah, see, that I don't like that. I like the Tasmanian. Keep in mind, in terms of Raven and Taz, you've really only seen their WWE run, which is not representative I'm seeing more of Raven now. Fair. Well, a bit. I'm seeing Raven be pouty in his house in quote-unquote Florida. You're seeing Raven do WandaVision before uh, <laughs> WandaVision happened. Kinda. Well, anyway, welcome to the Butts in the Seats podcast. We really uh, went off the rails a little there to start. A little bit. Episode 13. Episode 13, the Baker's Dozen episode. I'm your host, Nick, alongside Emily. Hello. Emily, how'd you feel about what we ended up watching? Do you remember it? Uh, so I didn't take excessive notes. Good, because we extensive. Took, we took a longer break between watching and recording. So how long it was like? What, what, longer really? than usual, give or take. Yeah. We watched a lot, though. Well, we actually well, one of these we watched beforehand because it doesn't matter. Yeah, these we watched this episode probably about a week ago. Yeah, we watched. The first Nitro, along with the Nitros for the previous episode we recorded, and then we hit about a two-hour mark recording and we went, we'll push that to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, it was getting late and we were hungry, or at least I was hungry. But yeah. I don't remember a whole lot of it, so I'm going to need some reminding along the way, but it's all segments in this first episode. There's no, there's one match. Right. 
There is one match in uh, our start here, which is the February 1st, 1999 Nitro. I have not been marking where these are again. Yeah, I meant to note where this was because I know it was somewhere cold because there's that whole dunk tank thing. Yo, yeah. Oh, it's um, Minneapolis. They're, oh, the, they're at the Target Center. Cool. I, I don't know why I know Target Center in Minneapolis. Yeah, that's a very strange fact for you to know. But I'm also not surprised. Uh, oh, and we also know because earlier today, Kurt Hennig and Barry Windham are, are arriving. This is how the episode opens for some reason. And Kurt Hennig's like, oh, my hometown. Oh, is he from Minneapolis? Yeah. Oh. I think he was involved in like scouting and acquiring Brock Lesnar, who's also from Minneapolis, for really? WWE. Pretty sure. I think I've told you this before, but in my in my kayfabe brain, Brock Lesnar is from the Alps in Germany. He does not speak English. He only knows carrying logs up and down a mountain, and that's how he got strong, and that's why he doesn't talk to people. Hey. Anyway, Kurt and Barry are here now. <laughs> don't, call, don't call him Kurt and Barry. That just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> They're like a buddy cop duo. Yeah, Kurt Hennig and Barry Windham are here, and they want revenge on Hall and Nash. So I remember watching this segment, and I could not discern a single word that they were saying to each other. I got the idea that they were solidifying a tag team in this conversation. They are in the tag team tournament. Oh. I think they actually said they want to win it to face Hall and Nash, and I'm like, really? I was trying so hard to hear their conversation word for word. I could not. They were, like, talking over each other. They were just, like, kind of mumbling. They didn't obviously have a script. They were like, here's your idea. I don't know. Oh, yeah, there's... Cameras. <laughs> Everything's one take. Oh, it's so frustrating. It's the old Ed Wood. No one's ever going to notice. Yeah, they will, Ed. <laughs> I do. So, also earlier today, tragedy struck. <gasps> So the Nitro girls were rehearsing, and Steiner comes out to argue with Kimberly. I think he grabs her arm? Yes, he does. He grabs her, like, upper arm. And she goes to pull away, and I don't know if she was supposed to, like, trip over the person sitting behind her. Yes. She doesn't. So what was supposed to happen? I'll lay this out for you, because I remember this part. So the girls are rehearsing. There's a few girls that are supposed to be on the floor, like, on all fours on the floor, to do this like dance move and one girl just doesn't get up while scott steiner comes out and is, like grabbing three Kimberly. of them don't get up okay well one is important that doesn't get up so scott comes out words were exchanged he grabs kimberly's upper arm to like pull her with him and he and well, kimberly pulls away with he such clearly force. didn't grab her that hard because uh, it, well, yeah he she pulled away with such force that it flew her backwards and she was perfectly aligned with the girl that was on the floor and she fell back and she like hit her head and now she's dead Yes. <laughs> she tries to get loose and then falls over and is just knocked out. Yeah, she just passes out. I think they were say like, oh, she's out. It's like... They say, oh, she's out as they fade to commercial. <laughs> just... I cannot tell how how light this bump was. <laughs> and like, the way that they portrayed scott snyder grabbing her arm like this man did not want to grab her arm he was not he was being very gentle yeah because they imply later that like he like pushed her or something like, yeah. no he didn't no he, he didn't 
It's on camera. He did touch her. He did grab her, and that wasn't good, but he didn't push her. No. And then she just pulled away way too hard, apparently. Yeah, and she just yeeted herself, knocked herself out. So DDP will want revenge for that later. So that'll get followed up on, I think, later or next week. I, don't, I think it's later. It is later. More than ever, the three episodes are, are a, a major blur into yeah. one. It is later because I made note of who tells DDP what happened, and I thought it was very funny. Oh, yes. <laughs> so the first thing actually on this Nitro is a Mean Gene interview with Conan and Rey Mysterio Jr. Mean Wubagai Gene. And this might be our earliest uh, iteration of... Who's that Pokemon? I didn't realize this was so early in the show. Rey Mysterio is wearing basically double gold and black. What'd you got? I had Zapdos, the electric type flying dude. Yeah, I don't think either of ours are perfect. Zapdos kind of has the orange feet, which I think take away from it a bit, but other than that, pretty good. I went Pikachu. I see. I think Pikachu's too yellow. Zapdos isn't? He's got more of a gold feel, I think. He's like a deeper, warmer yellow. I also went with Pikachu because Ray had a little like red kind of highlights to his emblems. I don't know how to... Like on his mask, he had like red on it? Yeah. Okay. Like the little like gems he kind of has in the various mm. spots. Those were red and Pikachu has the red kind of cheeks. Yeah, cute little red cheeks. Yeah, I guess that oh, works. Also, if you go Gen 1 Pikachu, Pikachu has a different color tummy, which is like another color of yellow. So it's actually two different shades. So, But neither are gold. So it doesn't make you no more really right. Gold. Oh, he is also uh, the game Pokemon Gold. Okay. <laughs> That's not a Pokemon. Sorry, Pokemon Heart Gold. That's not a Pokemon. It's a better version. It's a Pokemon game. It That's has, not the game. It has, it has all the Pokemon. It's all about the game and how you play it. No. It's all about control and if you can take it. You got any more? No, that's all I counted. I am the game. Zapdos is an acceptable answer, though. You, Thank you. You do receive credit for this one. <laughs> hate this game well it's a matter of you can make your case i will have an answer but you can i don't like that you have the only right answer it should be a debate who's who's the judge each other you're never gonna yield no and neither are you this game is flawed conan still doing his spanglish bit to start viva la raza bowdy bowdy and rowdy rowdy ray claims that he watched lex luger and kevin nash when he was a little boy and i'm like does that timing line up at all I don't know how young Ray is here. Probably pretty young, all things considered. 20-ish, probably. But, yeah, Kevin Nash wasn't really a big thing until 94. I mean, Lex has been around for a little while, but, yeah, it's like a, okay, that's a weird line for you. Also, I I can't imagine Ray Mysterio idolizing Lex Luger and Kevin Nash. Yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. Conan cuts a promo and somehow incorporates the idea of shooting a bank teller in a wheelchair. Yeah, Conan's promos are just like fever dreams. Because he also said in this he's going to make you strawberry fools bow down. He has called them strawberries before. He has. But like, what is his fixation with food? Toss my salads and peel my potatoes, am I right? So you're really glancing over the shooting a bank teller in a wheelchair. So this is not a new thing for us, because you keep telling me, like, things that are supposed to be insane and outlandish in wrestling, and 
they just get less outlandish the farther we go because I'm like, yeah, that's about right. You told me something else the other night that you're like, I'm sorry, you're not reacting the way that I wanted you to react. I think it was uh, talking about Bob Barker and Chris yes. Jericho. <laughs> like, yeah, probably. Ray then challenges Nash and Luger to a tag match at Super Brawl, and Ray's mask will be on the line. Just offering that up. Yeah. And then someone's hair from the other side will be on the line. Yeah, so Kevin Nash or Lex Luger, one of you guys got to shave your head if you lose. That's what they're insinuating. I think he actually floats the idea, which happens later, which is Nash agrees to the match with Liz's hair on the line. Does he float that? I think they mention it. Okay. Miss Elizabeth does not seem thrilled at the idea. She's even like, uh, wait a minute, guys. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm sorry. Hold on. So I wasn't part of this. Yeah, so that match is set for Super Bowl. The Rey Mysterio and Conan versus Kevin Nash and Lex Luger. I'm going to make my prediction of who wins. Seeing as Rey Mysterio is yet to be unmasked, I'm going to say that they win. Uh, Lex Luger will actually not be in that match. He tears something like literally like the week of super brawl so do you want to know who he gets replaced with now yeah. or do you want to wait it'll be uh scott hall instead i mean nash and hall that's a team that makes sense yeah can't roll my eyes hard enough but yeah i still laugh at the fact that you hate hall more than nash and i hate nash more than hall that's why we make a good pair <laughs> next up we go to the airport for some reason with the nwo black and white and they don't have any rental cars Apparently, they have a limo. Yeah, okay, so this didn't make any sense to me either. <laughs> so they get to the airport, and they are upset that they don't have any rental cars reserved, and there are none available. And apparently, that was Vincent's fault. That was never really established, but then they go outside. Or no, there's, there's a guy holding a sign in the airport. While they're figuring out all the rental car stuff, a guy six feet away from them, probably, is holding a sign that says NWO. Yes, and one of the reasons why this is weird is... Stevie Ray is annoyed that they don't have rental cars, but he's also the one kind of responsible for the limo thing, because apparently he talked to Hogan last week like about this. Oh, I missed that line. So I'm like, okay, then you knew this was probably going to be a thing? So why were you so pressed on rental cars if you knew there was going to be a limo? Dissension. And so they all get in the limo, and they're like, oh, nope, sorry, there's not enough room for Vincent. And I'm like, oh. Okay, because even he's like, I'll just sit up front then. Like, no, no, you, you no, can't you're get not in. in. Is it is it because he like dropped the ball on getting a rental car? Basically, everyone in the black and white fucking hates each other. Yeah, the black and white storyline is not black and white. <laughs> it's not clear cut and easy to follow. Vincent then calls Nash on his cell phone for a ride, and I'm like, okay, I, I guess they're setting up that they're just gonna leave Vincent at the airport or something. Yeah, because Nash's like, oh yeah, we'll be there in a minute. Literally 10 seconds later, yeah. around the corner, comes the wolf pack. Yeah, I, I'm like, where the fuck were you? Also, I'd like to note that when Vincent makes the call to Kevin Nash, there's zero there's zero time for that call to process and ring before he starts talking like Kevin Nash picked up. It was immediate. It was number, number, number. Hey, Kevin, they left me at the airport. Also, it's 99. You know those phone calls took a while. Vince then gets a ride in the NWO Elite Limo, and they just seem fine with that. Yeah. No issues with that at all. Yeah. It was a weird non-angle where I'm like, something's going to happen here. Nope. Nothing. We then go backstage at the arena, and Flair brings Eric Bischoff outside to a dunk tank. 
I mean, again, sure, probably. Sounds about right. Bischoff says that he'll do it, but he's going to get the last laugh, which is fair, because I think literally every week, Eric Bischoff has gotten the best of Ric Flair in the grand scheme yes. of things. Even the week he got his head shaved, like, it's like, oh, well, I cost Flair the match at the end of the night. It's like, dude, you need to fire Eric Bischoff, because he yeah. is scheming really well. Yeah, why is that Why is that a question? Why can't we not fire Eric Bischoff? It's also a weird thing of... Flair is only in control for 90 days, so even if he fires him, does Bischoff get it back? I would assume that it would go to somebody else on, like, the board for decision-making. I have no idea. Doesn't matter. So we got a dunk tank. Yes. Bischoff asks where David Flair is, and Rick says that he's at home. He's at home safe. A little bit later on, J.J. Dillon tries to hit the button. He doesn't hit it, and Bischoff falls anyway. I think he was supposed yeah, to. Yeah, so we were trying to decide if this dunk tank was actually button-operated or if it was Eric Bischoff knowing when he is supposed to and not supposed to fall, and it's, like, weight-operated. It was that one. Yeah. There's enough weird fuck-ups that it's like, yeah. Because, Jesus Christ, does everyone have terrible aim? Yeah. Well, they're wrestlers. They're not, you know, baseball players. They're athletes. You don't need to have precision aim as a wrestler. I don't know, but... They go to this quite a bit. I think, like, one person actually hits it by throwing the ball. Yeah, maybe later on. But, yeah. but this segment is making me, like, realize how much I hate Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff promo segments. When they both are together and they both are told they have speaking lines. Yeah. Oh, my God. These two need a script. But even if they had a script, I don't even think they would follow it because they love the sound of their own voices. And they will talk over each other. The entire time. It's just, it's so frustrating to listen to. Because, like, they're both saying things that are quippy. It's like they're both trying to get the last line, like the funny, like, oh, he got him line. But then they just keep talking and they're talking over each other's quippy last lines. Oh, stop it. (laughs) We then go inside backstage and the NWO arrive and Stevie Ray complains about Vincent, but then Vincent gets out of the elite limo and it's like oh no they're not even just complaining about vincent they said vincent wasn't at the airport (laughs) that was the line they're all just so rambly that it's hard to yeah that's why i'm saying they need a script and they need somebody for script supervision yeah continuity because scott norton tries to make peace but he mumbles so i'm like i don't know what the fuck he said then it goes to commercial and then it comes back and black and white are like oh man there's no snacks here for us then they go into the locker room and there's just a bunch of women who I assume are prostitutes. That's the idea. Yeah. I think. Or like strippers or something. I don't know. And just that that's that side up. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> we get a Mean Gene interview with Ric Flair. And Rick gets all of the pyro on his way out. Oh my god. So this is why they can't afford a script supervisor or a script. Because they spend all of their budget on pyro. We got a lot of these in this overall build, but we got another. By God, Gene, we are in the Twin Cities, and baby, we're looking good. Flair notes that the line to dunk Bischoff is around the block. I buy, I buy. I buy. Like, that overall shot of the people waiting to dunk Eric Bischoff was intense. Like, there was so many people. 
It's the entire company. Flair also notes that Hogan isn't here tonight and says it's apparent that the NWO is falling apart. Yes. I don't think it takes a lot of sleuthing to figure that out. He then talks more about history and tradition and then says at Super Brawl, it's do or die. Do or die. Do or die. Do or die. He says it a couple times. Do or die. He then pivots to Bret Hart. It's a weird cheap shot here of, I don't care how many documentaries they make about you. And I'm like, what? I'm pretty sure it's only the one. It's just the one at this point. He then books Benoit versus Bret Hart at Super Brawl for the U.S. title. So like that's going to be a good match, I think. Yeah. Shut up. Scott Hall then comes out to interrupt with Disco Inferno. While they're coming out, Flair uh, too sweets Mean Gene and has to like put Gene's hand in the right position. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mean Gene clearly does not know what the too sweet is. Hall grabs a mic. Hi, y'all. Hall says that Flair may be able to boss Bischoff around, but not Scott Hall. Yes, because he's in the NWO. Weird contract bullshit. I don't know. I don't know. But he asks why Benoit is number one contender. And Hall says that Benoit doesn't have the guts to come out and fight him. Benoit then comes out and makes a really weird threat that I didn't really know how to process. But Hall then throws his toothpick at Benoit, so they all brawl. When he throws his toothpick, does he snot rock it back? No, I think Ugh. that's probably... He does that in a couple of matches. He does but... it sometime in this episode, and I can't remember where. And it's disgusting. Later on, we have Scott Hall versus Chris Benoit, which we decided to skip in the interest of time. But yeah. not much generally happened with that. Okay. There was apparently a Kenny Chaos versus Van Hammer match, which I believe Van Hammer won, for those keeping score at home. We then get a debut because he's been on TV before. Okay, yeah, because I was going to ask you about this. I don't really know what they're going for here because, as mentioned, he was in the Raven skits. It's the Sandman, by the way. Yeah, I guess I should note that. But commentary has to pretend they don't know who he is. Yeah, through this whole bit, they're just calling him this man or the guy. You you know who he is. He's not a stranger. Has he never fought on WCW television? Nope. He hasn't? Nope. Not okay. before this. Well, then I guess that makes a little bit of sense. So I know he goes by Hack in this, so we'll be calling him that, and Emily will probably be slipping and calling him Sandman. Probably. But uh, Hack beats them both down with the Singapore cane, and he is covered in barbed wire. He then grabs a mic and starts to talk about his barbed wire experience, and then issues a challenge to Bam Bam Bigelow. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Seemed like an odd uh, choice there, considering Bigelow's kind of feuding with Goldberg. Yeah, I didn't really think too much of it. Back from commercial, Bam and Bigelow comes out. They're going to have a match, and I'm like, I'm kind of assuming this is a hardcore match. Yeah. All things considered. Hack works over Bam Bam Bigelow with the cane. His commentary is like, yeah, this uh, this guy seemed to have some history. Don't really know about that. Um, like This guy, that man, look at that guy go. Like. What? Yeah, it just feels like you're kind of burying him as opposed yeah. to being one of the toughest wrestlers in the world. It was kind of insane. Instead, yeah. it's like, oh, it's a guy. Just some dude stumbled up off the street. They brawl on the outside for a bit until they come back in and Bam Bam Bigelow headshots Hack with a chair. <laughs> he hits him so hard in such a way where the chair ends up around Hack's neck. Like it just like sticks there. Like, oh. <laughs> Like a little chair necklace. Hag bulldogs Bam Bam onto the chair and then sets up the barbed wire in the corner. 
as Tony warns against children watching. Like, he says something along those lines, and it's like, this is going to be a rough match for the kids. I don't think you really noted it until the barbed wire came out. It's like, oh, well, you know, we try to put on a show for all ages, but... but even you just said Hack came out where covered in barbed wire. This, again, it's not like he just pulled barbed wire out from under the, the ring. He was covered in it when he came out and attacked Benoit. Hack hits a vaulting leg drop across a cane on Bam Bam Bigelow's chest. Bam Bam then hits a DDT onto the chair. He then tosses Hack into the corner where Hack had set up the barbed wire and then splashes him. Follows up with a diving headbutt and then a greetings from Asbury Park onto, in very many quotes, the chair. I'd like to note at this point that this isn't the point in the match where I was like, oh, this is not real barbed wire. Or barbed wire, whatever the word is, doesn't matter. Because when he threw Hack into the corner where all the, the wire was around the like turnbuckle... Not a single piece snagged on his his shirt or his gear or anything. When you watch a match with like Mankind or when um Triple H had the bat covered in barbed wire and like was hacking at Mankind with it, yeah, you could see it tearing his shirt. That was actual barbed wire. This did not snag in the slightest. You know, I'm fine with it. I'm not. <laughs> Blood sport Emily over here. I like a hardcore match and I want it to actually be hardcore. Okay. I, yeah, I wasn't bothered by it. I'm like, you know, in the grand scheme, like, especially if you're low down the card like this, don't kill yourself for... There's a difference between using practical props in that sense and, you know, kicking each other in the head. There's a difference. You'll survive getting hit a couple of times with, like, barbed wire. Fair. But, uh, either way, I, it wasn't a bad match, although I can't imagine they're going to do anything with hack here. It was like, no. wouldn't shock me if this is the highlight of his, of his oh, really? WCW tenure. When does he go to WWE? Because he goes back, doesn't he? He doesn't go to WWE until 2006. He, oh, God, really? I don't know when he goes back to ECW, but I think it's honestly probably some point during this year, I want to say. I know he does go back before they close, so it's kind of a unfortunate revolving door of ECW right now. They They're constantly losing people. Yeah. Well, they're about to die. They're two years from dying. Oh, really? No, sure. I thought they were closer. They die weeks before WCW, so. Really? Shit. They just go out with more of a whimper. We then go backstage again to the Eric Bischoff dunk tank. There's a cameraman throwing the softballs at the button. He actually manages to hit the button, but Bischoff doesn't go down. Oh, is it the cameraman that actually makes the shot? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's when we realized, like, he hit the button and Eric didn't move, so. Yeah. We then get an NWO vignette, kind of similar to that Hogan-Nash one, but not as bad. Mm. This one is about Lex Luger and Liz, who I don't know if they're actually seeing each other in real life yet. I know they do eventually. Yes. But they are definitely paired up on screen now. The main point of this is just a self-indulgent packer from Lex's point of view. He does praise Liz for her performance on the uh, January 4th Nitro. It's setting up a Goldberg feud, it seems like. It's it's nowhere near as bad as that Hogan and Nash one, again, mm. but not much substance here. Just general trying to build heat on Luger. Yeah, I, I don't remember a whole lot from this. I do remember that he was standing in front of a projector and just, like, the words were going over him. So no one told him to step aside. <laughs> Shit, if he gets hurt, I'm wondering, are we not even going to have the, the Goldberg feud with him and Lex? Oh, I don't know. 
We then go back out to the dunk tank, and suspended referee Scott Dickinson is going rapid fire on these fucking <laughs> balls. He literally is just like, wham, wham, wham. Yeah. And he misses like 20 of them. Yeah, you talk about bad aim. I think I would have gotten at least one. He did manage to finally get it. I'll give him credit for that. But yeah, he is not taking the time to line up. No. We then go inside backstage again, and <laughs> your boy. So this is when we see inside backstage, like you said, DDP runs into this kind of garage looking area and Billy Kidman is just like, oh, hey, DDP, what's that? Oh, didn't you, did you hear about your wife? And he's like, my wife, what happened to my wife? He's like, oh yeah, she got fucked up by Scott Steiner, basically. And at this point, I'm like, if she is knocked out unconscious, why did no one call her husband? Why was he not the first person contacted? Probably because they saw the tape and went, she's probably faking. She's fine. <laughs> you, you saw that fall. But just the fact that it was Billy Kidman that had to tell DDP that his wife is currently unconscious. Yeah. Like, what? Who would you have had to tell him? A doctor? <laughs> I don't know. The president of WCW right now? Mr. Ric Flair? Somebody? Not Billy Kidman? I love him, but like, no. So DDP then goes looking for Steiner. He goes to the NWO locker room and the NWO no-sell like a bunch of dickheads. The NWO a bunch of dickheads? That's not right. Yeah, they just kind of make fun of him for looking for his wife. Or not even to his face, until he leaves. Like, Ooh. Oh, my wife. <laughs> they say that they don't know where Scott Steiner is and then DDP leaves and then Steiner comes out of the back room and he's apparently banging somebody that we're supposed to think is Kimberly. Yeah, some phantom hand comes out and just, like, grabs his peck. And all the guys are like, oh, 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 oh. We're supposed to think it's Kimberly. It's pro- it's, it's not. not. There's no way. Kimberly's unconscious. Nash then wants Vincent to go deliver a message to DDP that Steiner accepts the match and then just slap DDP across the face. Vince leaves and then finds Disco Inferno outside. And he's like, I want you to go tell DDP that Scott accepts the match and then slap him across the face. And Disco is still desperate for their approval. It's like, okay. Well, Disco's like, oh, and then you guys will come out? Like, smartly. Like, I'm not just going to slap the guy. Like, you guys, are, backup, right? you guys are coming out, right? He's like, oh, yeah, totally. So DDP comes out to the ring and demands that Steiner come out. Disco comes out instead and agrees to Steiner match for Super Brawl. Disco then slaps him. So DDP just beats him up. Yeah. It's kind of sad because, like, Disco does slap him. And then look to the ramp like all his buddies are going to come out and help him. And they just don't. It's kind of sad. We go backstage to the NWO locker room again. And once again, a script would have been nice. Because mm. half the NWO is burying Vincent for passing off the task. And the other half is like, oh, that was pretty fucking smart. Yeah. Again, and I'm like, which is it? Script would be great. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know how we're supposed to feel about that. I have no idea. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about any of this at this point. We go outside of the dunk tank again, and Bobby Heenan is there with basically all the balls. <laughs> and he says to Bischoff, like, look, I'm not trying to be a part of this. Like, I'm going to give these to you so nobody can throw them. And then he just runs up and, like, smashes the button. No, no, no. He does it accidentally. Oh, I, saw, I thought he didn't. They didn't on purpose. it was intentional? Yeah. I thought it was he had the whole bucket of balls. He was trying to go put them down by Eric to be like, this is over. I'm done. And he slips on the ice. Oh, I thought he did it on purpose. No, I think he slipped into the button. At least that's what I saw it as. Either one of us could be right, honestly. If he did slip, he didn't slip very convincingly. Fair. (laughs) 
Either way, he ends up inside the water again. Which we've not talked about, this the water. Okay, yeah. So they do note at the beginning of this whole segment, this dunk tank segment, that it is 27 degrees. And Eric Bischoff is in and out of this water a lot. Yeah. Like, this man has to be frozen. Unless this is a heated tank. I didn't really see any... Thing too heated, but it could be like very minimally heated, so it doesn't get hypothermia. Or it was previously heated. Yeah, so it's like not frozen, not frigid water. Yeah, and they probably just taped all of it at once. Yeah, so this this probably took about half an hour to tape in reality, but still, like I was a competitive swimmer, and mornings in the summer felt like garbage. I did the polar bear plunge, and that was garbage, and I was in the water for about ten seconds total. We then cut to a limo somewhere. I have no idea where this is. Yeah. It's Hulk Hogan and somebody who you have to either know or read the uh, chapter titles on the network to know it is Chuck Zito. Yeah, I have no idea who this guy is. He is a former Hells Angel turned actor. Chuck Zito, who was apparently known for, according to IMDb, Sons of Anarchy and Oz. Oz? The prison show. Oh. Okay. Not to be confused with the Kevin Nash gimmick. Was he? Did he have an Oz gimmick? Yes. Like the man behind the curtain kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Listen, sometimes when you're a large man, they give you really shitty gimmicks. Yes. Sometimes they wrap you in some sort of weird toilet paper and call you the Yeti. God damn. I think we missed it last episode. I don't think we had a Yeti reference. I don't know. We got it in the build. Uh, anyway so yeah hogan and chuck zito are in a limo and they talk about beating up david flair and then it just cuts away but again script would have been lovely because they mumble like hulk hogan is not known for being really like good with his words as it is and very understandable he mumbles he grumbles but then you put him in a space where he doesn't have to talk over an audience and he just Dave Flair. Like, I thought it was funny hearing him do his normal voice and not his Hulk Hogan voice. Let me tell you something, brother. Because he was very casual and wanted to be cool to Chuck Zito here, so he wasn't <laughs> putting on his whole wrestling persona. He was just talking as Terry. I hate that his name is Terry. The man's not a Terry. So we'll come back to that, but I don't really understand what the hell the point is. In a promo, we skip. Disco and Booker T apparently have a match at Super Bowl. Yeah, because we we cut to like Booker T backstage and he's like dressed up in a suit. Yeah, he basically wants to get refocused. It was a nothing promo, but Scott Steiner then comes out for a match alongside Buff Bagwell. I didn't realize that Buff Bagwell has not wrestled. I think since we started this, I have. I I was thinking about that too. I think he's nursing an injury. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Have we not seen him in this whole, like... I don't think the, so. The life of this podcast? He turned on Rick Steiner, I think, at Halloween Havoc. And that oh, shit. might have been it. And even then, I forget how much he actually wrestled there. We've seen Damn. very little of him. And you hate him. I do. <laughs> Anytime he comes out, you... He is Maybe like your Scott why, Hall. Because he's not wrestling. Maybe. And he's just being a dickhead. And is he a good wrestler? Do you know? He's capable. That's not saying a lot. <laughs> So Steiner grabs a mic and claims that the people are mesmerized. <laughs> he then calls DDP white trash. 
And apparently the stipulation during their last match, I don't recall this, was that if Steiner won, he could bang Kimberly, basically. Oh. I don't think that was an actual stipulation. I think Steiner Yeah, was, no, I missed Steiner's that. just talking mess. Talking trash. Talking white trash. He then tells DDP to step aside so he can bang Kimberly. Please, man, let me bang your wife. Come on, just step aside. Let me bang your wife. He just really wants to cuck DDP. That's what's all yeah, doing. he's like begging to cuck DDP. It's weird. <laughs> I forget what the match was, but we definitely skipped uh, yeah. it. Yeah, we only watched one match for this episode. <laughs> we then get a rare Goldberg interview with Mean Gene. We do not get a Mean Woo by Gaji Mike from Goldberg. No. Gene says that his streak was 174 now, and I'm pretty sure it was 173. I, yeah, I don't know. I know that this number climbs. It just sort of crawls up. But... Well, no, it, it, cr- it crawled up while he was wrestling. Once it ends, you should know what the number is. You'd think. But again, there's no one here to, like, account for continuity. The streak was 173, but he apparently held the world title for 174 days. I don't think that's what he was going for, but... No, that's weird. Anyway, Goldberg says to forget about the past, because he has. Gene asks him about his history with Bam Bam Bigelow. Goldberg says that Bigelow calls himself an extremist in the Beast from the East, but <laughs> Goldberg says that he's next. You're next. So it sounds like we'll have that match at Super Bowl. They didn't already make that. I forget if they didn't. I don't remember either. But but they're building the card. Yeah, Goldberg versus Bam Bam Bigelow, which I've been saying. I'm like, they're weirdly not doing this match. They finally now are. they are. Outside. Back to the dunk tank. Flair dunks Bischoff. Woo. I think he has to go up and press it as well. I don't remember, but I know Dean Malenko was throwing balls. In the main event, Benoit loses to Scott Hall after some Kevin Nash interference. Nothing really story-related there. But we then go back to the limo, and Hogan and Zito arrive at a gym somewhere to beat down David Flair, who they show getting out of his car and into the gym. They leave the limo to follow him, and then Zito's like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't have a camera if we're going to go assault this guy. See, like, that's a good thought to have. And that's kind of the episode, isn't it? No, because it goes back to the arena where it's Flair, Arn, and Dean just watching on a monitor in the arena. And that's how it ends. Yeah, so that camera in the limo somehow is connecting... It's able to transmit to... Transmitting signal to the arena. Yeah. This is technology that was unheard of. Like, that's significant technology for today. I mean, it's also possible it's transmitting, you know, onto the actual airways and they're just watching the channel. I don't know which one is actually harder. I really don't know enough. It's a weird ending to the show because not much really happens. It's kind of left to your imagination. Yeah. And then on Thunder, you find out they didn't do anything. Oh, seriously? Yeah. They don't even, like, hit him once? Well, moving on to the February 8th Nitro, it opens with footage from Thursday of Arn Anderson talking to Ric Flair, and they're like, yep, they didn't attack him. David never even saw him. What? They're just playing mind games. Because <sighs> they, they could have beat him down if they wanted to. Sure they could have. We then go backstage on the actual Nitro, and Nash and Hall have beat down Arn Anderson and offer him up to Disco to beat down. Arn, who has not taken any real bumps, was already on the ground, and they close the door before Disco does anything. It's kind of nice. It's like a... Fuck you, I'm retired. I'm not taking bumps. 
It's like a hazing almost for, or maybe not hazing. It's an initiation. Initiation. For Disco. For Disco Inferno. It's kind of nice. He's he's part of them now. He's one of us. We then get a bit that could not happen in 2021. We go to a bar. <laughs> we get some POV camera a couple times during the show. And it's a shot of Tori Wilson, who they do not call Tori Wilson. And on Nitro, they call her Tori Wilson. On Thunder, they refer to her as Samantha. They do on Thunder? In the chapter titles. They never mention gotcha. her name. Okay. Yeah, because that was confusing me, too. Because they were like, in the Thunder, or in the Nitro chapter titles, it was like very clearly Tori Wilson. But then it would just like switch to Samantha. Let's just hit these now, because... We're going to do them all and get them out of the way? Yeah. Okay, cool, good. Starts off at the bar, and Tori offers the cameraman a limo ride. In the limo, Tori's like, come sit next to me. They then get to a hotel. Tori gets in the elevator and is like, no, come on, come in. And they have to be really careful about the (laughs) angles because, you know, the back wall of an elevator is usually a mirror. Yeah. So they have to take a really, like, sharp angle to try to not show the fact that it's a camera crew. Yeah, it's definitely not just one guy. I don't think whoever this is was even probably there. Oh, no, no, no. Definitely not. Whoever this is supposed to be because we still don't know. They then go into the hotel room and... Tori tells whoever it is to sit down and says she'll be right back. She's going to go get a little more comfortable. I forget if she even said that, but that was the... That's the implication. Yeah. We then finally go back to Raven's house. Oh, yeah. Remember Raven? (laughs) So Raven's mom is worried about Raven. So Canyon comes to visit. She has to go to work. So she's like, can you look after him? Make sure he doesn't leave the house. And here's where we get a new, new wrinkle to this uh this storyline raven saga raven at one point turns to the camera and goes what a mark and is constantly turning to the camera to like ferris bueller yeah it it's so bizarre johnny polo's day off (laughs) it's just absolutely bizarre and of course the second the mom says don't let him leave the house they immediately leave the house oh yeah he then shows Canyon all of his nice cars and does a second line to camera. They go to the bank and he's like, I'm getting my money. And apparently they all know him at the bank. He's been, I guess he's a regular. Yeah, a regular at the bank. He gets $10,000 in ones. In ones. And $10,000 in big bills. Just the way you like them. This isn't a coffee shop. This is just the way you like them. What? So, yeah, they're probably going to a strip club. Yeah, but... Just the way you like them. We'll come back to that in a little bit, because we are not done with that yet. We then go into the bathroom. Always a good place to start a segment. Yeah, Jimmy Hart is there, and he tells Eric Bischoff that the stalls need more toilet paper. And then two people come in. I think it was Meng and the Barbarian come in and apparently take a smelly shit. (laughs) Because Bischoff's like, oh, that's gross, sir. It's a bathroom, Eric. Don't hang out in the bathroom and read your newspaper. It's weird. We stay backstage and Hogan wants Brian Adams to run the black and white. Yeah, we should note they, a lot of these episodes now are going to be very skit heavy. Yes. There is mostly backstage segments at this point. And the matches they do are like, as previously mentioned, Kenny Chaos versus Van Hammer. 
Yeah, they're kind of nothing matches. This is apparently an edict from Booker Kevin Nash. We'll uh, see how long this keeps going. And you were telling me that they're doing more backstage stuff to kind of combat Raw, right? Yeah. Because Raw's doing a lot of backstage. Yeah, and Raw's, Raw's doing it quite well. Raw's always done backstage. Yeah, since you've been watching, but I imagine there was a time where they started developing that because Raw usually was just kind of three matches and maybe second backstage interview. Mm. That is not a thing still. It really is the backstage interview. Like, it happens occasionally, but it is Mean Gene in the ring. Oh, for this, yes. For WCW, absolutely. It's always strange to see who's allowed to just come out and do a promo and who has to get interviewed by Mean Gene to do a promo. Yeah. Because for some reason, Flair is always like... Always with Mean Gene. But we actually get a Mean Gene interview with Ric Flair. And we get our second... Flair says he's going to tell it like it is and starts off with Big Sexy and Scott Hall. But he keeps doing a very high-pitched... Big Sexy! It's weird. <laughs> it's really weird. Like mocking, but kind of not. I can't tell. Tonight, it'll be Hall and Nash versus Flair and Mongo in what will be Mongo's last stand. <laughs> this is Mongo's last episode. Yeah. And this is how he goes out. Oof. Okay. We'll talk about that when we get there. But <laughs> he tells Hogan that he has two weeks to tell him all he's champion because Flair's going to take him down and then elbow drops the mat and puts in a phantom figure for him. <laughs> when he just starts like going off like this and just like doing elbow drops on the, the mat logo and just kind of like being insane. This, that's kind of when I lose it with Ric Flair. I'm like, oh, you're off. You're unhinged. I don't know about this. Flair admits to abuse of power because he's like, you know what, Hall, even though you beat Benoit, you're not a number one contender for the U.S. title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck you. Basically, yeah. That was the undertone. He demands that Bret Hart come out and tells Hart that he doesn't have the Hogan deal where you can just show up whenever you want and do whatever. It's like, nope, you have a regular contract. You are a wrestler. And then Bret does like the whole, I'm injured. This is where it gets weird, because he tells Brett, you can either have the match Super Brawl or you can vacate the title. I never knew the match Super Brawl was in doubt. I guess it is. But Bret Hart's like, no, I'm hurt. I got a doctor who said I can't wrestle, so I don't have to. So Flair then books a match for tonight. It'll be Bret Hart versus Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yes. <laughs> Which I imagine threw you for a little bit of a loop. It did, because like we haven't seen Roddy Piper, really. And, like I know who he is. Mostly because I know who Ronda Rousey is. That statement I made know me really sad. sad. I know that's sad. The year that she main evented WrestleMania, I believe you kind of explained her gear. Because she comes, she comes out in the kilt and she comes out in the shirt that says Rowdy. Because she's Rowdy Ronda Rousey, whatever. And you explained to me that that is not an original concept. It's this guy, Roddy Piper. So I knew the name. I understood that it was a legendary wrestler, if you will. But Gotcha. So I, I had an idea of who he was. Yeah, so I had he, never really seen him wrestle. And you did not realize that he was he was the maniac in uh, Always Sunny. Nope. I thought it was weird to book him in this match just because there's no build for it. It's like I'd imagine Roddy Piper is still a bit of a at least a TV draw and get some ratings, I would think, but yeah. it's like nope, you're gonna wrestle him a little bit later on tonight. Yeah, it's not even the main event, is it? No. No. So do you know why he's wrestling Roddy Piper? Nope. So apparently, Bret Hart was 
supposed to wrestle Hulk Hogan at the upcoming Halloween Havoc. Okay. I don't know if that happens or not. We'll get there. And they're like, all right, we want you to lose to Booker T. And he's like, well, if I'm wrestling Hogan in a couple months, like, I think I shouldn't really be losing kind of willy-nilly matches. Which is fair. And so somehow that argument turned into, uh, okay, you're going to lose it to Roddy Piper. Oh, really? Yeah. Because Nash doesn't think Hart's worth his contract, doesn't, doesn't think he's that good, which is hilarious to me. Wow. The fact that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash have a clause in their contract in which they will always be the second highest paid people in WCW. So if somebody makes more money than anybody, they get a pay raise. That's fucking ridiculous. It's a great, it's a great clause to have for you if you are the person who is signing it, but uh, That's not, a not for the company. That's a clause. Who wrote that? <laughs> Another reason why it's not surprising that this company fell apart. They did not handle their finances. Flair then tells Hall and Nash it's going to be down there, baby. Like, really weirdly out of context. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know. Hart then goes to the outside on his way to the back and tears up Will Sasso's sign. Now, if you don't know who Will Sasso is, he's a comedian who's been working for a while now. He was on Mad TV, which is probably his... He was also in The Three Stooges and has had a couple of bit roles and a couple of things, but... uh. Not super famous, but people know who he is. I call him Discount Mark Addy, <laughs> who is Robert Baratheon in Game of Thrones, if you don't know who Mark Addy is by name. But Bret Hart was on Mad TV and went crazy for real oh. and put Will Sasso in the sharpshooter during a sketch. Went crazy for real, you yes. say? You know, the real movie due to her people, the sharpshooter. <laughs> they are now feuding. Sure. Two-week feud. We then get a lengthy tag team history vignette, which is actually a Super Brawl ad. Yeah, which actually is kind of nice. They're still hyping up Super Brawl. Marketing. Amazing. Who'd have thunk? We go backstage and Hulk Hogan tells Stevie Ray he wants him to run the black and white. I think almost immediately after that, he tells Vincent he wants him to run the black and white. Mm -hmm. Vincent kisses Hogan on the cheek and Hogan very much wipes it off later, which... In this day and age, has a very uh, different connotation to why he would do that. Yeah. Hogan's not a good guy. No. Makes me happy that I fucking hate him. We then get a Mean Gene interview with Bam Bam Bigelow. Bigelow still has no theme. And he's in street clothes, which just looks weird. Yeah. I think it's because his gear is clothing-like in terms of what it covers. That seeing him in like a button down is just weird. <laughs> and the head tattoo doesn't help. Yeah, no. It looks like he got it touched up too. It looks like fresh. So Bam Bam says his plan was to slowly wear down Goldberg piece by piece. Says again that he is extreme, hardcore, and the beast from the east. He also has a prop with him. He brought out a very large copy of a USA Today article about Goldberg. Goldberg apparently denounced cock and dog fighting. Yes, cock and dog fighting. <laughs> cock fighting and dog fighting. And at one point when they're talking about cock fighting, Gene feels the need to note, oh, you know, like chickens and roosters. <laughs> no, I mean Gene. The other one. Gene, Gene really had to uh, no homo this. <laughs> it is 99. This promo basically exists for them to kind of highlight the fact that they got the press from that. 
we paused and looked at the article, and they actually bring up a couple of the points. Apparently, Goldberg and his girlfriend have 10 animals and have vowed to make sure everyone in WCW adopts one animal this year. Yes. That's a terrible idea. Yeah, for people who are constantly on the road traveling and, like, don't get to go home and don't have really, like, stability, it's like, no, I'm not going to get a pet. I mean, I'm assuming the way that, like, Goldberg does it is they have all the ten animals and it's for his girlfriend or wife. Girlfriend? Girlfriend. Girlfriend to take care of. It's like a little fucking farm. I would guess. So I would assume that he would try to get all the wrestlers to get a pet for their families, but not all of them have families. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Also, like, I feel bad if people lower in the card if, like, Goldberg going around with, like, a sign-up sheet, like, adopt this dog. Like, like um, how do you say no to Goldberg? Yeah. It's a nice, like, sentiment, though. Like, I'm... It's weird that... um, What is Bam Bam's argument with this? He's just, like... Bam Bam's general point is, you're doing all this stuff. You're not focused on me. You're you're distracted. And you are going to lose because you're distracted. I think this is a valid thing to be distracted by. If this is the fight that you want to have as your kind of, like, I think it's... I think it's that Bam Bam feels that he's being taken lightly. Yeah. That it's, like, you could have done this interview and done all this anytime. It's, like, you were gearing up for a match with me. Like, focus. No. <laughs> Bigelow also notes the adoption line, but had a different take uh, on it than us. His mm. Spam Bam says that he'll put a leash around Goldberg's old lady and take her out for a walk. Which prompts Goldberg to come out. Of course it does. And he attacks Spam Bam until security breaks it up. Good. Good for Goldberg. I like Goldberg. I, I mean, I don't know really what else... You could have done to have Goldberg come out that didn't make Bam Bam look really uh, insensitive to it. Yeah. Really, it's basically you either promote animal cruelty or you insult his girlfriend. It's like, I'll pick the girlfriend girlfriend, one. (laughs) It's getting a little more heated. Are you excited for that match at all? I don't know yet. I think so. I kind of want to see how long that match goes and then I'll tell you whether or not I'm looking forward to it. Right. Because it was like a three minute match. I'm not excited. I was saying the opposite. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't want to see them go. I don't want to see Goldberg go for 20 minutes. Goldberg should go seven minutes max. Okay. We are now going to go back to Raven and Canyon. And they're going shopping. Going to Versace. Oh, God. what Canyon calls it something like Verace. Versace. Something. And Raven turns to the camera and goes, what a maroon. Is he Bugs Bunny? (laughs) I don't get this angle. We then get a trying on clothes montage from Canyon. Yeah. Which ends with him being in his underwear. It's funny because this montage, minus the showing up in your underwear, just happened real time in The Bachelor like a week ago. So it's, you know, parallels. We go back to Raven's house and his mom finally comes home. Apparently WCW called. They want Raven to come back to work. Yay! So I don't know what the purpose of these vignettes were i have no idea i didn't realize that he was out of work from wcw i thought he was just taking a break and he got to choose when he wanted to come back i didn't it's that line made it sound like he got laid off basically yeah because the bits other than this made it sound like people were trying to convince him to go back to work yeah like he was at home depressed or something and they needed to pull him out of this like dark place and bring him back to work but no apparently he got like fucking fired or something all right so we'll see raven eventually again eventually we then go to the parking lot of the arena. Kimberly and DDP are trying to get into their car. 
Steiner approaches Kimberly, so DDP attacks him, and so security tries to separate them, which results in Scott Steiner stealing the car with Kimberly inside and security still holding back DDP. Yes. There's been a kidnapping of this man's wife. It's like, oh, we can't have a fight. It makes no sense. Steiner then goes to leave with the car, which again, Grand Theft Auto at this point. Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to try to run over DDP. Instead, he drives by him. It's unclear at first if... Kimberly jumps out or is somehow I really don't pushed know. out? At first I thought she was pushed out, but it would make more sense for her to like throw herself out of Well, commentary her. and the storylines treat it like he he pushed her out. Mm. However, he would have had to have reached across the entire car. And pushed. Yeah. There's while a lot doing going... this like big turn and driving quickly. Like... Yeah. There's a lot going on there. But basically, Kimberly's body is thrown from the vehicle. And I thought it was pretty seamless editing because I was. yeah I'm like this was a good segment unless Kimberly became a stunt person overnight. <laughs> I think there was only one cut, and it was so when they're looking over the body, she has like bruises yeah. and all that. Yeah, but other than that, like she gets in the car, and they don't cut. No, it was good. But the medics look after her and they put her in an ambulance, which takes fucking forever. Like they, they linger, linger on this on for it. a while. Like we should like fast forward, make sure we're like. Anything else happen? And it's like, nope. No, they just like, they kept the entire bit of putting her on a stretcher, getting her in the ambulance, the ambulance driving away. All of that is left into the segment. Yeah, in commentary notes, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe he threw her from the car. I guess. I guess that's what was supposed to have been. It's just, it's to to further make DDP want to kill him. Yes. I'd say if DQs happened in WCW, that match should end with Steiner winning via DQ Mm -hmm. because DDP just tries to kill him. Yeah, you're right. But DQs don't exist, so. We then go to the bathroom again, and Larry Zabisco is generally taunting Eric Bischoff. I think he notes that the bathroom is a mess, and, like, the sink is, like, full of water, and there's shit all over the floor. Yeah. Not literal shit, just, like... Just, you know, garbage. Stuff. Yeah. So Bischoff then starts to go to clean it, but I guess smells some of the cleaning material. I guess it's bleach or yeah. something. They're really vague about what it is, but some sort of cleaning I thought I heard liquid. him say, get the bleach. Later on, they're very vague about what's in it. Okay. But whatever this concoction is, like it smells like potent. Like oh shit! Like that'll you know you, you huff that, it'll knock you out. Yeah, and if you smell like uncon or concentrated bleach, it it is pretty pungent. If you don't like dilute that a little bit, like it'll fuck your day up. Next up is our first match of this nitro. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we have two matches back to back here. We have Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper. Piper comes out wearing a reality check shirt. <laughs> and a kilt. And a kilt. Oh, it's Roddy Piper. He's going to be rocking the kilt. Oh, he's got another kilt. I love the kilt. Piper slaps Hart to start. And I noted that I didn't check it. And I probably should have. But I'm pretty sure the last time these guys wrestled would have been about eight years before this. Seriously? Yeah. WrestleMania. Or seven years. WrestleMania eight. Jeez. If my memory serves right. Because I, I can't think of any reason they would have done this match other than that. Because... I can't think of any Bret Hart, Roddy Piper feud. And Piper's been weirdly part-time and mm. slash retired for a while. On commentary, Tony Schiavone notes the sketch from Mad TV, and they are treating it like it was... I don't know whether it was kayfabe or whether it was shoot. I don't know. They're they're treating it like it, like, actually... I guess that yeah. they're treating it like kayfabe. Piper wants to stomp Hart's groin, but the referee stops him. His commentary continues to doubt Bret's injury, but I guess that's fair, because he is being... Uh, Fairly sneaky. Yeah, it's just kind of like throughout this match, he decides when he wants to have a groin injury. 
which like, I know that's his whole thing right now, but he'll just do a whole bunch of moves that I don't feel like you could do if you had a groin injury, the likes of which you've never seen. And he's fine. We get a small smattering of USA chance. Which, which doesn't make any yeah. sense. Because Brett's from Canada and Piper's actually also from Canada, but he's billed as being from Scotland. Oh, really? He's yeah. Canadian? Do they think that Bret Hart is American? Or are they all just being dicks of like, neither of you are American, I don't care about this match? They're just trying to taunt Bret Hart. It, it, oh, okay. you know, I didn't realize that was a Bret Hart taunt. He had, in WWF, he had done an anti-American gimmick. I don't know. Anytime someone's foreign and you don't like them, you chant USA at them for whatever reason. That still stands true in 2021. So something happens in the crowd as security just legs it over there. And I don't... We couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, everybody's attention in the audience turned. And we just saw a group of security running in the background. No one was paying attention to the match for a good, like, probably solid minute, minute and a half. Brett and Piper get tangled up in the ropes. And Brett fakes a low blow, which I can't say I've ever seen before. Yeah. It was well faked, though. Like, the way that he kind of jumped back. Yeah, we had to re- like rewind it. Like, oh, he didn't actually do it. And uh, a doctor comes in to check on him. I had a little bit of an annoyance here. And it's just one of those consistencies in wrestling kind of thing. So the referee accuses Piper of doing like the back kick you do when the ref's distracted. Yeah. So the ref knows that spot exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you just got to be really sneaky about it. What if, like they're never looking for it either. Although I think it was last podcast episode where somebody did that blatantly and it was like, oh... Uh, you shouldn't have been looking at that. Yes, yeah. So with Piper distracted by the ref, Brett quickly gets up and blindsides Piper and starts working him over in the corner. And we then get a Russian leg sweep from Brett, and that is the first bump of this match, which was a fair amount of minutes in. I didn't even realize it was the first bump until you said something. Yeah, Piper has bad hips and kind of can't wrestle. It was an overall very punchy match. I did note that. We then get a backbreaker from Hart. And Hart clotheslines Piper to the outside. On the outside, he chokes Piper with the camera cable and then pulls Will Sasso over the barricade. Piper then chokes Hart with the camera cable and security makes no effort to remove Sasso from the no, ringside area. not at all. You need to get that, uh, that one security guard who stopped Gronk <laughs> from coming in. She was good at her job. <laughs> she had a job to do and she did it well. Too well. We get a front suplex from Piper, followed by a back suplex from Piper. We get a ref bump in the corner, followed by a double clothesline, so both men are down. Piper small packages Hart, but the ref is out. Hart then uses brass knuckles a few times, which was weird. Usually you're knocked out after the one. Mm. And he just kept punching Piper. And That's like, true, I didn't even think about that. Brett wants to get a pin, but he and Will Sasso on the outside do a tug of war over the ref. Piper then rolls up Hart and gets the win and the title. So now Roddy Piper is the U.S. champion, right? Yep. New United States champion, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I don't know how to, I don't know how to transition to this, but I think Bret Hart won the U.S. title at a similar age to Piper is at, at this point. He won it randomly on Raw in like 2010. Oh, really? He literally couldn't bump. I don't think he was allowed to bump. Mm. And someone managed to win and lose the U.S. title. Win and lose? Yeah. How did he lose it? I forget. I didn't realize. When does he like come back to WWE TV? 2010. I didn't yeah. realize he came back at all. Yeah, he goes into the Hall of Fame in 2006, but he does the ceremony, but doesn't come out 
like on screen at WrestleMania. Mm. And he came back for, I want to say it was the January 4th, 2010, uh, Nitro, I said Nitro, Raw. <laughs> and him and Shawn Michaels bury the hatchet. And oh. then him and Vince are going to do the same. And then Vince low blows him. And setting up a match at WrestleMania 26. Oh my God. Bret Hart's last WrestleMania before that was WrestleMania 13. Bret Hart would have been 52, but had suffered a stroke before then. Oh, he had a stroke? Yeah. Oh, damn. He had at least one. It might be more. Yeah, a lot of tragedy in the Hart family. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, him versus Vince McMahon. It's about the quality you'd expect. I don't have any interest in watching that match. I think that match would just make me angry. I honestly, I don't know which match is worse. That match or Michael Cole versus Jerry Lawler the year after. Ooh. Why? Because Jerry never had a WrestleMania match. So he won his WrestleMania moment? Yeah. Against Michael Cole? I don't, so don't know why it was against Michael <laughs> Cole. Heal Michael Cole, by the way. Jesus. Stupid. We seem to differ about this match. I kind of enjoyed it. I thought, yeah. I thought it was way too punch kicky. Yeah. I and mean, I, it was very punch kicky. To me, it did not hide the limitations. Oh, like of each wrestler? Oh, I'm saying of Piper. Breck can oh. go. I think at this point, he's more or less healed up. He took some time off. Or at least if he's not healed, he's not showing it. But yeah, I thought it was not a bad match, but not a good match. I enjoyed it. And I also guess we're not going to get Hart versus Benoit at Super Brawl. Yeah, I forgot about that when we were talking about it earlier. Forgot that he lost the belt. So I was sincere earlier when I was like, oh, that's going to be a good match at Super Brawl. Yeah, I don't know who anybody is now good at wrestle in terms of the three of them. Yeah. Do, would you want to see Benoit versus Roddy Piper? No. No? I don't know if I want to see anybody versus Roddy Piper right now. That's kind of sad. You, when you, It's time to hang it up. Like He can be an authority figure and do great with that, but when you have yeah. two bad hips, it's time to retire. Fair. All right. Let's move on to the main event of this Nitro. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash with Disco Inferno against Ric Flair and Mongo. In his final showing. Never mind that shit. There goes Mongo. <laughs> Rip. Hall grabs a mic and cuts a promo. Wolfpack's in the house. That's the promo. That's it. Kevin Nash is not one for words. So the horsemen come out and they get an absurd amount of pyro again. That's where all the budget goes. It goes to those fireworks. Mongo's seeing why they can't keep him. He just turns around. Oh, God. There goes my salary. Flair and Mongo clear the NWO from the ring. Flair and Hall then start. And I'm like, I imagine they'll work most of this match. Yes. And they do. Nash tags in. So Flair tags in Mongo. He scoop slams both Hall and Nash, but catches a big boot. Heels work over Mongo as we build towards a Ric Flair hot tag. Hall hits the last call and Nash keeps tagging him back in. Which I kind of laughed about where I'm guessing Nash didn't want to work or was just tired because Hall Hall works basically all this match. Yeah. Because he'll do he'll work him over, tag in Nash, Nash will hit like two moves, tag Hall back in. Yeah. There's a lot of back and forth for them. Can't say the same for Mongo and Flair. I don't know how much you can say it's back and forth. It's just like... Back and forth as into who's the legal man. I know that's what I'm saying. It's like it's it's eighty twenty in terms of in ring time. Fair, 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 fair. Yeah, I will give Scott all that. He did carry this match for that tag team. 
Hall puts Mongo in a sleeper, but Mongo hits like a sit-out jawbreaker to no reaction. Yeah. He then it was sad. really awkwardly slowly makes the hot tag again to no reaction. It's not a hot tag. I think I think it was so slow that the crowd thought that Hall was going to break it up. It did feel like that. It was a really slow tag. It was not hot. That was lukewarm. Flair gets Hall in the figure four, and we suddenly go backstage. Yeah, that was a weird cut. I didn't like that. Bischoff hands Hogan a mop bucket, which you know is probably full of the bleach mentioned yeah. earlier. And the camera tracks Hogan walking down the hall carrying this. And it actually cuts away from Hall in Ric Flair's finisher. Yeah. And then it cuts back and they're like out of it. And I'm like, oh, I guess we like, maybe kind of saw him get out, up. but it was like really vague. Like, oh, I guess it just really wasn't the finish. So yeah. fuck it. Like commentary doesn't even notice that he gets out. He's like, oh, I guess, yeah, I anything. guess he got out. Um, you know, Hogan's coming out, so Hogan comes out and down to the ring with a bucket. Disco holds Flair for Hogan to throw the liquid on him, but Mongo takes the bullet, and that's it for Mongo. Yeah, that's how they wrote off Mongo. It's just sad. Like after all this time, and that is how you are written off. That is your final hurrah. About ten seconds in the ring for a match. And then you get bleach water thrown on you. Hogan gets in the ring to whip Flair, but Flair low blows Hall and Nash. Disco then tries to hold Flair, but Flair low blows him too. Goldberg then comes out and spears Disco, and Hogan seems to have vanished. Bam Bam Bigelow then comes out, and now the ref calls for the bell. After all this time, like... There are so many DQs. Like the first. Yes, time. The, the, this <laughs> match is the general worst, worst call. call of the night. Absolutely. What? <laughs> Bigelow and Goldberg then brawl to end the broadcast. As they do. Yeah, that was a. It was just a sad end match, you know. Definitely not their strongest showing for a final match of a show. I noticed they're really going for the chaotic endings more and more. It feels like they don't know how to write the show off. Thoughts on the actual match? I mean. I mean it was fine. Yeah. It was Nothing a p- notable. Pretty standard kind of tag match. Yeah. It'd be a little more on the boring side. It was but, kind of boring. Well, I, 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 minus scoop slams. I can't think of any moves Mongo did. And that was it. That was his last match. It's just sad. I feel a little bad for him. Not too bad. Because, I mean, he had a f- lengthy football career before this. True. Which, also, credit to Mongo. Just for the, I mean, one, going from football to wrestling mm-hmm. with the success that he did. Two... Having a long football career and like generally and wrestling and generally seems fine. That's true. Like props to Mongo. Wow. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You look genuinely amazed. Well, those are two very concussion heavy sports. And the fact that he is still alive doesn't seem to have a whole lot of CTE issues. Like for all intents and purposes seems fine. He also played for one of the best defenses ever, which so probably fucking hard hitting. Good for him. Damn. That's impressive. Yeah, that is the last we see a Mongo. And I'm kind of... The bit I know about the four horsemen, I'm like struggling to think who takes his place. Oh, really? Or if just the horsemen kind of fade. Really? But yeah, you have Arn who's not wrestling, Flair who's the president, and then you just got Dean and Benoit. Yeah. certain point, you're just a tag team. Right. <laughs> so we start the February 15th, 1999 Nitro with a note from the network. There are technical issues in this episode. We preserved it the best we could. Yes. I looked up someone else's results 
from back in the day just to kind of figure out what we missed. Didn't seem like a ton. So I, I'll kind of note where we uh, m- missed those spots. I do remember there being a weird cut that we didn't quite understand what happened. And that was one of the parts. Yes, because it randomly opens kind of weirdly. Because it was supposed to be a, a recap package of DDP and Scott Steiner. Mm. And instead it just like drops us in the middle of commentary talking. Oh, okay. We go backstage and Arn Anderson is chasing after Disco Inferno and kind of attacks a big dad energy. And don't you run away from me. Oh my God, yeah. You're going to get whooped. And he's got the tire Arn. Got the tire Arn. I, I, I think he's sticking with it at this point. The tire Arn is his thing. So security handcuffs him and it's implied that he gets taken to jail. I don't understand WCW logic. No. Are you just now realizing that WCW logic makes no sense? I know. Just sometimes when it's worse, I'm like, okay, can we brawl or am I going to jail? It's like, we're both contracted performers. True. We're wrestlers. I know Arn. I don't think, Arn's not fully retired, I don't think so. And also, Disco, you beat the shit out of him last week, so, you know. So why weren't you arrested last week? Yeah. We then go to some airfield and a hangar. Eric Bischoff is now Ric Flair's limo driver. Yes. Complete with the, the hat. Yes, the limo hat. There's a lot of editing in this segment when they mm-hmm. first arrive. So Bischoff gets off the plane with three people that I have no idea who they are. I don't think he really meant it to know. Yeah. It's just constantly cutting back and forth. And I'm like, how many fucking takes did you do? Because there's not other cameras in these shots, which right. means you did multiple shots for or multiple angles for all of these. And none of the edits really match. No. It just, it's all meaningless chatter. And then there's meaningless chatter in the limo. Although they they note in the limo, it's like, oh yeah, I heard it's going to be Bret Hart versus Will Sasso tonight. I'm like, oh, okay. Apparently that's a match. Cool. The audio editing is all over the place too. Because sometimes it's fairly clear. Other times it sounds like dog shit. And it's just like, they clearly only got in-camera audio. And so anytime they they cut, the audio changes. Mm-hmm. Rick gets a phone call about Arn Anderson's arrest, and they're driving for a while, and apparently they're taking a detour. It's like, oh, I don't really know this way. Right. Bischoff says they're taking a detour. They'll be should be there in twenty minutes. He then immediately gets on the phone once the divider's up, and says to somebody that they'll be there in fifteen. Dun dun dun. Beware when what? Who is he talking to? We then go to a hotel. It's Tori Wilson. Oh, yes. I forgot we got part two of the Tori Wilson saga yes. in this episode. We peeked at Thunder. I'm like, oh, I saw there's more of these. It's just repeating them the again. exact same stuff. And they repeated the Raven stuff twice. They did it on the first Thunder and then the second Thunder. Oh, my God. They were really hurting for content. But at the hotel, Tori Wilson wants a bunch of room service. Girl likes food. She's just trying to eat. Post-coitus meal. Yes. We go back to the limo and... They're driving in a field, and for some reason, there's a helicopter spotlight <laughs> yeah. on the limo. They park, and two masked men tell the guys who aren't Flair in the limo to get out of the car. Two masked men, one with a very defined bleach blonde mustache. Get out of the car, brother! <laughs> so Flair then gets out, and they're trying to intimidate him, and Flair's like, all right, I'm just going to fucking fight off now, because I'm basically, I know I'm going to get jumped. So yeah. he punches... He punches one of them, who is totally not Hulk Hogan, and then the cars circle as he kind of faces off with the other one, because I, I think the other masked man had like a long stick or something. 
I don't fucking. I think it was Scott Hall with the taser stick. It wasn't a taser stick. It was, was it, a, it was like a wood stick kind of thing. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure it was Scott Hall that was also there. It wasn't oh, Kevin Nash. Uh, um, I don't even fucking. It, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So the, 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 car, the cars circle and then six or seven more masked men arrive and very gingerly beat him down. <laughs> In the middle of this field. Yeah. One of them is holding an NWO strap. Gee, I wonder who they could be. So this is where the technical issues cut out. Apparently, we missed several of them unmasking in the field. Oh. Including Buff Bagwell, which raises the point, why did you wear a mask? (laughs) For the aesthetic, brother. We're all about the vibe here. So, there is something else important to note about this segment. We saw it. Commentary either didn't see it or were instructed to act like they had not. And the fans in the arena had not seen it. So this is one of those segments that was not broadcast on the Jumbotrons in the arena. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. So commentary and the fans have no idea this has happened for whatever reason. Okay. Also, they just leave him laying and no one tries to help him. The guys he was with suddenly vanish. They're the cam- gone, yeah. The cameraman doesn't try to help at all either. I did. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, this segment was weird. It made no sense. Yeah, because next up we have Tony Schiavone interviewing the Nitro Girls. Spice cuts a pretty adequate promo, and then you were impressed by Whisper. Whisper. Because she tries to tear up, and I thought I thought she didn't do great. You were like, you were very She's impressed. She's trying. Like I, I am impressed when they try to put a little bit of acting in their in their act. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, Kimberly's our leader. She she wanted to make sure we were okay. Whisper really put on a good show there. Also, I think this is the first time we've heard all of their names. We've not really been paying attention during the... uh... Next up, we get our first match of two on this episode. (laughs) We get Bret Hart versus Will Sasso with Deborah Wilson. Remember when we were watching like six matches a show? I mean, yeah, it's been one, (laughs) selective choices by me. Two, they're going more segment heavy. Yeah. Three, we're not actually watching the full episodes. I know, I know. But, uh... I have an issue with this. Will Sasso has a theme and Bam Bam Bigelow does not. That's true. I didn't even think about that. At this point, it has to be a choice by Bam Bam. I assume by management, not Bam Bam. But oh. I don't know. I Again, I assume he eventually gets one, but... I thought they were just trying to like make him edgy. Whatever. So Sasso comes out in a football-style jersey, shorts, knee pads, and wrestling boots, which I was kind of surprised by. Yeah, I was impressed by the wrestling boots. Deborah Wilson, who is his co-star mm-hmm. on Mad TV, comes out in uh, interesting gear, we'll say. I will say she had good energy. You were, well, you were concerned about her outfit. <laughs> yes, yes, I was. I was concerned about her outfit throughout the entirety of this match. Why is that? I've... <sighs> I want to say it without like explicitly saying it. She almost had a Janet Jackson moment. She lacked support and security where a lot of voluptuous women lack support and security or require support and security. And it was very bouncy. And just with every step down the, the ramp, it just got less and less secure. <laughs> I really thought it was going to pop out. It's a weird match when uh, you're looking at boobs and I'm not. <laughs> I was looking at boobs out of concern. Maybe I am sometimes. You ever think Liar. about that? No. Bret Hart just comes out 
for this match. And I'm like, man, we really could have used some sort of promo giving any sort of context. Because mm. that's true. They never really say what happened on the Mad TV. Set. I mean, they kind of do. They kind of did last week, but like vaguely through commentary. Yeah, but like Brett never fucking mm-hmm. talks about her. It's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, some kind of explanation would have been helpful. I was kind of just getting my explanation through you. I didn't even think about the rest of the audience. Yeah. So Brett works over Will Sasso and then grabs a chair, sets it up in the ring and just takes a seat. Yep. Just chilling. Splashes Sasso with some water on the outside and then chokes him with a camera cable. That's Brett's new favorite spot. I know. He likes that camera cable. Feel bad for the poor PA that's stuck in the corner with all that that cable that just has to rewrap it. (laughs) Brett goes for a chair shot, but the ref stops him. And then Deborah Wilson grabs a chair and swerve. She uses it on Will Sasso. You never saw it coming. In the ring, Brett puts on the sharpshooter and Sasso actually sells it pretty well of like tapping out pretty quick. Like, oh shit. Oh, and yeah. like, like looking sore. I mean, I know he's a little bit sore, but credit to him. There was no nip. Although there <laughs> might have been nip. When she like finished. Sorry, you're going back to Deborah Wilson. Well, we finished the match, so. <laughs> When she, like, did the chair shot, there was a chance that, like, on the rebound, everything, like, she was just so hyped up, there might have been a slip. I can't tell. You, you thought other things other than the chair might have been swinging? Anyway. Uh, Brett celebrates with Deborah Wilson, to which I made a layup joke about uh, Brett's infidelity when we were watching. <laughs> and we will never speak of this again. That's it? That's it. Yep. Uh, Will Sasso will make one more wrestling appearance. I remind you what this is, but do you remember what it was? Mm-mm. I want to say it's early 2002. Chris Jericho brings out a knockoff Steve Austin. Oh, yeah. And he does all the mannerisms. And I'm assuming it ends with them drinking a beer and then Austin sons him. Would be my guess. Probably. <laughs> Any segment is probably safe to assume there is beer and an Austin sonner. Yeah. Cool. But, Everyone would a pretty good Steve Austin. So, nothing match. Hopefully. Really quick. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad they didn't draw that out. Fair. That was kind of what that match should have been. Yeah. It wasn't Will Sasso going on offense for 10 minutes. And like, oh yeah. my God, he's working over Bret Hart. But you know that's what it would be in 2021, WWE TV. Hashtag bad money. I don't know how I feel about that. We then go outside... With the NWO arriving. They walk through the crowd and it takes fucking forever. However, we learn later, could have taken longer. And the thing is, like, they're still kind of wearing their masks, too. Yeah, some are, some aren't. Well, when they get there, Hogan's wearing his mask and commentary has to pretend they're fucking stupid. <sighs> but, but then again, I guess they didn't see the thing earlier. Yeah. But... Yeah, he's like holding the title belt and has the mustache, and they're like, uh, "I don't know, you know, I don't know who this man is." Oh yeah, I hated that. Like, it, why do you got to play? I don't know who this man yeah. is. He's wearing a fucking ski I mask. I don't even he's know not... why they went through the crowd. And now I'm thinking about it because they just go through a different entrance than the main one. Yeah, it's not like they came in from like the front door of the arena or anything. And you know what happens when you come through the crowd? Hmm. You have to hop over the barricade. Oh yeah. Which is easy Aww. for Kevin Nash, but then Kevin Nash had to stay there and help several people, very much Buff Bagwell, over he, the barricade. He lifted Buff Bagwell like he was his little brother, like cradled him and scooped him over the barricade. It was so cute. So, 
yeah, they also have their masks somewhere around their head. A lot of them are just kind of wearing it as, as like a beanie at, mm-hmm. at that point. Hogan leaves his on for a fucking while. He finally unmasks once he tells everyone to go back and have a Hollywood party. Yeah, what? I don't know. He says Hollywood party like three times too. So he meant to say Hollywood. He really needs to work on his puns. Remember what was the uh, Hollywood the Big Bad Wolf from a couple weeks ago? I don't even Hogan then offers Flair a title shot and is like, oh, I know you're backstage. And it's like, this is what pissed me off because then you're just taunting the crowd Mm -hmm. and making Flair look like shit to the crowd. Yeah, because they don't know that he is just dead in a field. Yeah, and commentary looks fucking stupid. Yeah. Yeah, I generally wrote, like, this is some bullshit. Oh, yeah. They start to count to ten for him, but Roddy Piper comes out instead. And Hogan sells it pretty well. He looks stunned. They have had plenty of matches in the past couple of years, so yeah. his is not as uh, a unique match as uh, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper was. See, like, I feel like, thinking about it since we started talking about that segment, I feel like this sort of thing should have been Roddy Piper's comeback, like this moment, and then build to a Starcade match with Well, Starcade's Brett. a ways out. Or not Starcade, Super Brawl. Super Brawl? Yeah, that, I mean... <laughs> I don't know about bread, but because that still feels weird. However, you are very I mean, good in assuming that, like, yeah, this would have been a nice... This would have been a really impactful moment. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. You should play that Journey of Wrestling game. You can book these segments. <laughs> you should. Apparently, you can book better than 99 Nitro. Nah. Piper comes out and says he's tired of Hogan, and he's Hogan's reality check. Yeah. I like that line. Piper, who we should have noted earlier, is still the commissioner. Yeah, so I didn't realize that. They've mentioned it a couple times in like the previous months. They really didn't mention it last week. No. But Piper uses his power as commissioner to book him versus Hogan for the title. Right then. Right right then, right there. So we get our second match of the night. At least that we're talking about. That we're watching, yeah. There were other matches. Yes. And we get Piper slowly working over Hogan. Remember how we talked about how fast the Booker T matches were the other week? Oh my god, and they were so good. I miss Booker T in these last couple episodes. Hogan begs off, so Piper just pokes him in the eyes. <laughs> Which I, I I laughed at that. I mean, it worked. <laughs> and then he hits an atomic drop. So throughout all of this, Hogan is wearing a long sleeve shirt. Mm-hmm. Which looked to be an NWO shirt inside out. Yes, it clearly was. And he has a hard time getting this shirt <laughs> off during this match. He's not used to long sleeves. The last time we saw him in long sleeves in a match. Not quite Mr. T, Starcade 94 levels, but pretty bad. Ugh. He does finally manage to get it off and chokes Piper with it. Mm-hmm. He then hits a chair shot. So is the shirt not DQ? Is the chair DQ? I mean, the chair should have been. Doesn't this match end with a DQ? Yes. (laughs) He then takes off his weightlifting belt and whips Piper with it. He then wraps it around his fist and punches Piper multiple times. They're talking about how, like, the buckle is, like, out. What? Commentary does try to excuse the blatant DQ things. They're like, I'm assuming the ref's trying to give Piper a chance to win the title. Because if he wins by DQ... Listen, is it a shit explanation? Yes. Kinda. But it's at least 
an attempt, and so I'll give him credit for that. Okay. Rather than just like, oh, uh, a little bit of leniency there. It's like, oh no, he's probably trying to give Piper a chance. Yeah. I think it's like Randy Anderson too is the ref. Piper gets the sleeper on Hogan, which is Piper's finisher. Oh. It's just a sleeper hold? Is his finisher? Yep. Oh. Well, keep in mind how long he's been wrestling. Fair. Scott Hall then runs in and stun guns Roddy Piper, which results in a DQ. I hate it. Hall then shocks Piper multiple times as the black and white come out too. Hogan tells the camera he's going to go find Ric Flair backstage. What? That's literally only for the audience at home. Yeah. And he's not there. Yeah. Hall puts on uh, Piper's kilt towards the end of the segment and commentary notes, the ultimate insult. Ah, that's the ultimate insult, not the, the finger poke. Yes. Cool, 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 cool. Well, well to Roddy Piper. Okay, well, still, to wrestling in general. You know, I almost feel the need to take back what I said about the uh, Piper heart match, because it could have been this. You're right, it could have been this. This was just disappointing. That said, I don't think any of the matches they had in the past 10 years have been particularly good. I mean, I believe you, but this just... It's just, it's, a, it's another insulting match. Like, anything with, at this point, anything with the stun gun, I find insulting. Yeah. We're like just my waiting last for note, the comeuppance. My last note on this match was, I fucking hate it here. So, in case you're wondering what happened to Ric Flair, we now go back to that field somewhere. And a pickup truck just pulls up. Or it's like a flatbed truck or something. And it got, some guy just finds Ric Flair's body. They load him in the pickup, and Flair's like, take me to the arena. Yeah, he's bleeding profusely. He's, like, all over the place. They Yeah, they show the, the guy's face. I have no idea who he is. No. No, he's just a nice... He's a kind farmer man. We then randomly get a very brief thing of Scott Steiner's lawyer. Yes, that was weird. Steiner is apparently suing DDP for $1 million. And DDP is apparently also facing a possible 15-year prison sentence. And they just move on from that shit. Wait, DDP is facing 15 years in prison? Potentially. Why? According to the assault or whatever fucking shit. <gasps> yeah. But they really just gloss over the... Yes, he also might be going to jail for 15 years. Also, I think those would be two different lawsuits. There'd be a civil suit and then a criminal suit. Yes, you're right. So, I forget if they address that or not, but... It's not. DD, I doubt it. DDP, should we, listen, we've seen 2001. DDP shows up then. He's not <laughs> in jail for 15 years. Jail. I don't think DDP's won a world title yet. I know he wins a couple, so. Oh, God. We then go back to Tori Wilson, still in the hotel. Yeah, why are we still with Tori Wilson? She just wants to keep banging whoever this is. Ah! And she's like, oh, you have to go talk to those people. Whoever's with her is apparently going to go to, I guess, go to the arena, it seems like. Well, based on stuff later, you know, the arena. But uh, we'll have to wait for the conclusion of that at the end of Nitro. Because next it's the The main main... event with Michael Buffer. Yeah, what's the main event? He starts to try to answer something. You know, they should have let him continue. I want to know. Let him talk. What was he going to say? Yeah, what was going to be the main event? Because Mm -hmm. there's eight minutes left and the wolf pack come out. Yeah, does he announce anybody or does he does no. just like Hogan start talking over him? The Wolfpack music comes out and then they take the mic. And Michael Buffer looked very upset to be interrupted and to have his mic taken. Yeah, you don't take Michael Buffer's mic. <laughs> He's ready to rumble. 
So the whole fucking NWO comes out. Hogan notes that Mongo is out of the picture, so he's officially He has been They they have mentioned that he's gone. <laughs> and then he just keeps pretending that Flair's here. He's like, I'm gonna give him a twenty count. And they count. And then at six, it cuts to that same area where the NWO arrived outside, and the truck shows up, and Flair kind of stumbles out. I guess they can't see it, because they're still counting when he's, like, stumbling out yeah, of the Yeah, I was going to ask you, is this part broadcast to the audience? I, I don't know. It's very vague what was and wasn't. Yeah. And Flair grabs an axe handle off the truck. Just, just a weird weapon. Yeah, it was a weird weapon. Because, like, at that point, why not just get, like, a bat you know because that's sting's thing oh is it and a two by four is jim duggan's thing so oh, okay and because commentary either hasn't seen or has to pretend to not see what the fuck happened to flair they're like oh uh, he seems a little off and he's like is he drunk oh yeah because he's uh, bloody at this point though isn't he pretty much i and, thought he was yeah and they're like oh um appears he might have been beaten down they take fucking forever to just be like, oh, well, clearly the NWO beat him down. Yeah. Like, even if you hadn't seen it. It's not a hard conclusion to draw. Although, <laughs> to Bobby's credit, Flair is acting quite drunk. Yeah, he's very stumbly. Yes, he's very stumbly. Remember how I said they took forever to come out earlier in the NWO? Yeah. Flair takes fucking... Flair takes longer. What feels like five... We said there's eight minutes left. He physically takes fucking five minutes. Hogan does stop counting at some point, And... Flair's taking forever to get in the ring even once he's climbed over the barricade and he finally does roll in the ring and he tries to fight off Stevie Ray and then Dean Malenko and Benoit come out but they're outnumbered and getting beat down and there's Goldberg chance but he's not coming out and the NWO beats down Flair with the axe handle and it's just a massive beat down bummer angle yeah. And then Scott Hall goes backstage and hands the camera the stun stick and is like, you know what to do. The camera that was the one that Tori yes. Wilson was with this whole time. Yes. So this cameraman is part of the NWO somehow. And that's Nitro. Oof. And that's uh, almost all of the build to Super Brawl. Some quick hits from the final thunder. Uh, Stevie Ray offers Booker T a spot in the NWO. He declines. He's like, I see through Hogan's bullshit. Like, Good for you, Booker. I love Booker T. I'm starting to really yeah. love Booker T. Disco then talks some shit to Booker, so Booker just fucking chokes him. <laughs> Stevie just walks away. We get more of Tori Wilson than whoever, and Tori gets the stun gun, and she's like, oh, I have a lot of experience with this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, oh, what? Yeah. And she starts like holding it and walking around with it. Like, she like, zaps him at one point. He's like, ooh. Like, it's a sex toy. It's weird. Uh, Disco apparently joins the NWO Elite. No. Again, he wasn't. He's I only he worn he's only worn the black and red, so I assumed. Yeah. Steiner challenges DDP for Super Brawl, which I thought had already yeah, been I made and accepted because of the thing where Disco slaps DDP. Yeah. And uh, there's apparently a stipulation where if Steiner wins, he gets Kimberly for thirty days. Jesus. And Tori gets an invitation for Super Brawl. So. So Tori will appear. As Tori Super and Brawl. whoever she's with will appear. Interesting. And that's all of the build <laughs> to Super Brawl. Okay. Uh, part two was a lot messier than part yeah, one. Yeah, I didn't realize it when we were watching it. It was just talking through it now that I'm like, oh, wow. A lot happened and a lot didn't happen. 
Yeah, we. I mean, we have some matches, but yeah, yeah they, that. Just, so we had a bigger card going into this build part portion than we did coming out of it. I think because, like, in the process, we lost a few matches. We, we lost one. Just the one. It yeah. feels like more. So we have Ric Flair versus Hogan, Goldberg versus Bigelow. We have the Conan and Rey Mysterio. Man, they really vanished off these shows. Yeah. Conan Rey Mysterio versus uh, it'll be Hall and Nash at this point. Um, we have the finals of the tag title tournament. Mm-hmm. And Steiner DDP. Steiner DDP. I mean, pretty big card. Yeah, it's not going to be a bad show, I don't think. So, I will tell you that I had a hard time coming up with a best bid or an MVP. Yeah, I literally realized that I didn't do one, so I have to... I threw one together while we were talking there, but... Okay, well, uh, let's move on to that then. Best bit, MVP. So I gave my best bit to Raven and Canyon, just for making me laugh and just providing a little bit of levity. Fair. <laughs> and then my MVP, I gave it to two people, and you can't tell me that I can't, because I don't care. I gave it to DDP for avenging his wife. And to the kind farmer man for helping Flair when nobody else would. Sure. <laughs> so my best bit is going to be the um, the car stunt. Oh, okay. I thought it was very well done for how they did it. And I'm like, yeah. you know what? I was impressed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely wasn't a match tonight. I'll put it that way. I know. <laughs> Which is a shame, but... Because this is a wrestling podcast and we don't like any of the matches. Man, I'm really, uh, I'm struggling for an MVP. <laughs> yeah, that's why I had to give it to two, just because I guess like two halves of an MVP made one whole. Uh, I guess I'm going to give mine to Bret Hart. Yeah. He, he got two decent matches slash segments out of people who have different reasons, have difficulties wrestling at this point. Okay. So... I I didn't want to claw my eyes out during those matches, and that's probably because of Bret Hart. Because we saw what happens if Piper faces Hogan. So, I think through talking through it, yeah, I'm going to give mine to Bret Hart. Okay. And I don't think he has a match at Super Raw, which is unfortunate. But Bret Hart doesn't? I, oh, I don't know who you'd face, but uh, yeah, Super Raw will be episode number 14. We made 14 episodes. We made 13 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Any uh, closing thoughts on the build? I'm ready for Super ready to move out of this. We're going to close this out with uh, talking through the TV ratings before we close out. So, which of these episodes, of the f- these three, do you think uh, did the best and worst? February 8th did the best, February 15th did the worst. You'd be correct, but hey. there is a asterisk on there. Okay. So, the February 1st did a 4.7, which was down from a 5 the week before. Mm-hmm. The 8th did a 5.7, however... There was no Raw up against it because it got preempted. Okay. And the February 15th show did a 3.9. So, uh, looking forward, they don't hit a 5 ever again. Come May, the 4s are looking pretty sparse, too. Jeez. uh, Can't wait. It's it's starting. (laughs) It's happening, guys. It's happening. Oh, God. We've been going for a while. Let's wrap this up. Let's make some food. (laughs) If you uh, enjoy the podcast, follow us on Twitter and Spotify. On Twitter, we are at Butts in the Pod. And on Spotify, Butts and Seeds Podcast, where you're listening right now. If you didn't like it, I don't know. Sorry. (laughs) Share with somebody who may like it. 
Other than that, it's been a blast. I'm Nick. I'm Emily. And thanks for listening to the Bust in the Seats podcast. Bye.